Thank you for tuning in to the She Served podcast. This is Ana Sanchez, your host. Today, we have in our studio Lieutenant Colonel Newsom, who is a line officer for the United States Air Force. She's currently working at the Pentagon, and she will share her story in the military. She will also be sharing her insights as an African-American female for the United States Air Force. Thank you for listening to the She Served podcast. Today in our studio, we have Lieutenant Colonel Brandy Newsom, U.S. Air Force. Go ahead, ma'am. Thank you for coming in today and um, having to be interviewed. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. And so um, in my role as a officer in the Air Force, I am currently serving as a 4-2-S-4 which is a clinical social worker, but it's at more at the administrative level. And I'm um, working at the Pentagon in our reserve um, medical directorate, which is REM. And mm-hmm. um, at REM, we actually provide oversight to policy and guidance as it relates to medical, um, medical initiatives targeted for the entire reserve force. Wow. So as a female officer, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Newsom, how is it um, there at the Pentagon? Do you see many women there now? I do see um, a fair amount of women in the Pentagon. Now, the Pentagon is heavy with civilian staff. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we've got a good number of, of military and uniformed as well. Um, it's the rank structure is kind of, uh, for the women you see more enlisted than officers when you're seeing the females in, in, at the Pentagon, but there are a lot of, uh, officers as well. Um, usually by the time you get to the Pentagon, you're kind of more at the peak in your career. Mm. And so you've worked in other installations, you've kind of been around the reserve command and had kind of worked your way up, um, to the, to the Pentagon. So, um, some of the paths to get to the Pentagon are probably not as straight as they are uh, for the our females as they are for our males. But there are um, there are females actually they're running programs and and serving as directors. Wonderful of, of major areas too. Nice. That's nice to hear. That's nice to hear. That's a big change. When you started um, in the in the military, how old were you and? Do you see a change now or a shift in uh, having more women in the um, military? Yeah, so I started when I was still in high school, actually, um, as a reservist in the Army. So um, from the military perspective then, we were probably about 15% female Mm. and 85% male. Um, I've seen a shift to we're closer to 20%. Yes, we are. Sometimes we can even go over 20% female. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, we are all at 20%. So that's a, that's a good thing. Still very different, though, from, from the different branches of the military. I think the Marines are up to 5% only for, for women. So Air Force is the largest one. So you were 17 when you uh, joined the Army, and then you went blue. 
I did. So I <laughs> spent about four years in the green, um, kind of got my training as a medical combat medic. Everybody's combat in the army. So oh, it's a okay. Bravo. <laughs> and so everybody has to learn how to carry a weapon. You have to spend a good amount of time at the range. You have to be able to have an infantry kind of, um, slant to every career field mm. so um so i spent about four years there and got to do some great work humanitarian tours and um things like that and then during downsizing um the army actually brought in recruiters from the various the other branches of service and i connected with air force and then transitioned over to become a mental health technician which is a Ford Charlie mm. um, in the in the Air Force, and I was a specialist in the Army and came over as a senior airman in the Air Force. Wow, that was a transition. Then was it? I mean, the mentality, the uh, ideals of the Army and the Air Force, very different culture. Different culture, different language, um, different uh, way of life, different mm -hmm. mission. Mm. So. Uh, when you transition from one branch to another, you it's like going to a different country, really. You have to <laughs> learn a whole new language oh. and um, a new culture and a way of operating and interacting. The Army is more ground forces. They're more in the trenches. They're mm -hmm. more infantry focused and they're more hands-on and tactical. The Air Force is more, um, more strategic, mm -hmm. uh, more think tanks, more innovation. So, um, completely different cultures. Mm, mm. Did you see a difference in the way uh, women were perceived in the Army and in the Air Force? How was that? Not a big difference in the perception of women. So, what, what, I, what you see is that, so the Air Force has different mission set than the Army. So, the Army was really not pushing women into mission sets that were more special forces and um, kind of some more of those highly tactical mm -hmm. positions. So mm -hmm. over time, they've evolved, and you see women now breaking barriers and yes. becoming more, more and more tactical and getting more into those combat missions. Mm -hmm. um, the Air Force has women as fighter pilots, but not many. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, so the Air Force... Is, is also breaking barriers um, and, and exploring the expansion of women in some of those combat positions as well. Yes, big, big changes to come and more to come, right? And when you were in the reserves, you were going to school, going to college? Yeah, so I did a split um, option. I did a delayed entry. You have to test at a certain level in your ASVAB and it gives you more flexibility. So I was able to um, delay my entry, finish high school, um, as soon as I graduated from high school, within like maybe three days, I was headed to basic training, mm -hmm. uh, returned from basic training and got back to college. So I was able to start my freshman year that fall, got back a little bit late, but they were accommodating. Nice. The following summer, I did my um, AIT, which is um, additional training for your career field, and then went back to college. So I was able to complete my four years of college while I was going through all my training. Wow. Uh, Ooh, that's a lot of juggling right there. A lot of transition back and forth to completely different cultures because uh, undergrad living on campus at a college is very different than being in basic training or AIT. Very <laughs> different. <laughs> and you were doing a lot of um, uh, leadership things when you were in college, right? From your sorority, from what I 
um, what we've yes. talked about before? So in college, I got to step into a few different leadership roles. The first one I stepped into um, was my, I joined a sorority my uh, sophomore year, which then took me into Robert's Rule of Orders, running meetings, sitting on a board, um, actually had to sit on an International Greek Association board as cool. a treasurer, sat on my sorority board as a vice president do all the logistics of fundraising and financial management and budgeting. And um, wow. so my sorority actually has um, a certain number of community service projects that have to be completed each year. So you have to submit a remittance form to show that you demonstrate you've done those community service projects. So uh, I went straight from the, you know, basic training straight into kind of starting to, you know, get close to my sorority, went to AIT, came back and actually joined my sorority. So the fun didn't stop. <laughs> it was like that through my entire four years of college. Oh, so do you think, what is, was it the military training or the responsibilities that you had in college that kind of shaped you on who you are and what you're using now as a lieutenant colonel in the United States Air Force, or did it go hand in hand? I think it was a, a combination of things. So even prior to school, um, both my mother's parents and my father's parents were a big influence. So I was mm. raised by grandparents mm. to, to some degree. And so there's a lot of structure and rules and traditional values and <laughs> um, different things that you have to, you, you kind of take in. Um, I stepped into the military and took on leadership roles within the military um, at a very young age. So mm. 18, 19, I was already kind of, you know, in, helping to run a program within my section and out on a um, humanitarian tour, helping to move on a, on a reservation uh, tent style hospital into a hardened facility. Wow. Um, and uh, doing my sorority work at the same time. Um so, so a lot of things came together in my life from early on through college mm -hmm. um, that all helped to shape kind of where I am today. Oh, wow. Very nice. That's, it seems like an easy transition, but I bet you it's a lot of hard work. A lot of work, and, and you kind of just take it as it comes. Mm -hmm. And the more I did and the more um, I was dependable and reliable, the more came. Mm -hmm. So, so I was I was never at a loss for opportunities to ah. leave. So you just took took it on and say, "Hey, I I can do this. I've I've done this." Yeah, you kind of get to this place where it's like, okay, this is scary, but I've conquered you know X in the past, which was also scary. So if I've made it through <laughs> that, then uh, with some effort, I can make it through this. So Yay. you kind of live from one scary event to another and build on <laughs> prior accomplishments. That's resiliency right there. <laughs> yes, it is. Now, with your current AFSC S42 S4 as a social worker, clinical social work, are you able to kind of use that currently uh, while you are in the Pentagon? So I am. So a part of, um, I have... The LCSW, which requires um, 32 hours of clinical contact, direct clinical contact mm. on an annual basis. But I also have the diplomat, um, which is the BCD from the American um, uh, Department of, of Social Workers. And so 
the the American Board of Social Workers. And so that comes with a requirement for 300 hours a year of clinical contact. So it averages about a day a week, Mm -hmm. um, um, at least three days a month of actual clinical contact. Mm -hmm. So that's good that you're able to kind of juggle that and put that all in and keep your your certifications on on there. So that's a good thing. And so there's a local um, military treatment facility that I'm working with, and they're um, allowing me to come in and do clinical work with them, do their walk-ins, their emergency appointments, some of their um, SHPI, which is a a special health exam. There's a mental health portion to that. Um, So they're letting me do some of that kind of day-to-day things that happen, you Mm -hmm. know, in the clinic. Mm -hmm. And this is where now? This is in D.C. or where you are currently? It's in D.C. Okay. at the Andrews and the military treatment facility. Nice. Okay. Very good. Very good that you can do that. I'm so happy because we need social workers. We need licensed um, clinical social workers that help, um, you know, move things along. So we're listening to Lieutenant Colonel Brandy Newsom, U.S. Air Force um, um, officer, line officer, who is currently working at the Pentagon. You're listening to the She Served podcast. Uh, this afternoon, we are speaking with Lieutenant Colonel Brandy Newsom, U.S. Air Force Line Officer, currently working as a clinical social worker at the Pentagon. So let's move on to our um, uh, next question. Have you ever cross-trained in your job at all? Have you ever done that, Lieutenant Colonel Newsom? So I have had a few different jobs. So I started as the 91 Bravo, which was a combat medic in the Army, mm-hmm. um, tra- cross-trained over to the Air Force as a Fort Charlie, which was a mental, mental health, health technician, yeah. and then obtained my social work degree and my clinical license and commissioned as a first lieutenant um, in the Air Force. So that was another cross-train to go from a technician to an officer position. Mm-hmm. Because it's a it's again a different culture. The enlisted and um, becoming an officer. Um, right now, there's what eighty percent enlisted and twenty percent um, officers. Right. Right. The officer is more strategic. Our enlisted are more tactical and operational, but very educated. Yes. Our enlisted. Force. Oh, very very true. A lot of them have master's degree. Um, and have um, a lot of education and experience as well. How did the service... I'm sorry? Oh, I thought you were speaking. How did the service uh, in the military impacted you on who you are today, being in the Army and then being in the Air Force, now at the Pentagon? I think for me... I find that the service had a a great impact on my development, on my kind of exploring different realms of leadership capabilities, um, taking risks, um, stepping into um, different states and different positions, because I've moved a couple of times with the military. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I'm a civil service employee with the Air Force now, too. So not only am I a reservist, but it's also my full-time civilian job. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was beneficial. 
And I just find that the corporate knowledge just builds as the years pass. And as I have the various different experiences I have, it help, helps to build that kind of intellectual capital and corporate knowledge to really help, you know, lead and grow as a leader yeah. within the Air Force. As a female leader and also an African-American female leader. Right. So. Which is interesting because when I went to, um, I currently just did a, a short um, stay at the academy to help support um, there. And uh, it was interesting when I was look, talking to some of the African-American females there who hadn't seen a lieutenant colonel. Oh, wow. African-American female. And so it was just <laughs> like, oh, that there's, there's you know, opportunity for me to make it to Lieutenant Colonel Colonel. It's like, yeah, why would you think there isn't? And then, you know, it was kind of, because I haven't seen any, you mm. know, African-American females who won the rank. And so lifted, you know, or captains and majors, but hadn't seen them achieve that rank. And so that, that was nice to be an example of what can be. Mm-hmm. Well, you are a role model to a lot of people. You are a, a mentor to a lot of people people uh so that is a good thing that they were able to see you there and witness this yeah an african-american lieutenant colonel line officer in the united states air force and doing all these wonderful things so i'm i'm so happy for that what does it mean uh now for you to be serving our country lieutenant colonel newsom so for me the service and and the service before yourself is a big part of kind of our culture mm-hmm. in the military in general, but it's a part of our kind of um, our, our motto in the mm-hmm. in the Air Force specifically. But I mean, it means to me to be available as the country needs me to make mm-hmm. sure that we are taken care of, that our airmen are taken care of, that um, as they deploy and as they experience and witness things, may it be you know, they come back with post-traumatic stress Mm -hmm. or they come back with a TBI, a traumatic brain injury, or um, they go through family-related, day-to-day family-related issues on top of trying to protect the nation. For me, it's nice to be able to give to them an opportunity to relax, to to have somebody to talk to, um, to be a trusted agent, to um, to serve in that way that I take care of those who are taking care of our borders. Yes. And so um, that's very significant for me and very important. Mm-hmm. And s- service before self, uh, for those of you guys that are not in the Air Force, that is one of the core values of of the Air Force. So you have been doing that uh, since you were a teenager. So. Right. Yep. And so it comes natural, you know, and being a social worker, mm-hmm. it comes natural too. And growing up in a family of, where well, my mother was a social worker before oh. me. So, okay. um, and my grandmother was kind of like a grandmother of the community. And so, um, so it means a lot to be able to put on the uniform and to take care of our airmen as they take care of our borders. Mm, well, thank you for doing that. Now, what are you passionate about? I know you, you do a lot in the community. You do a lot for the military. What are your passions? So for me, equity um, is a passion of mine. Care and treatment for our members is a passion of mine. Um, making sure that we reinforce and model um, mm. self-care and resilience. Yes. Yes. I, I think if 
it's one thing to teach and talk about self-care and to have emotional intelligence. It's another thing to model it and to live it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm passionate about not only just talking the talk, but walking the talk. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that people can experience that from me. If, if me telling them about it is not their way that they're going to take it in. Mm -hmm. Everybody learns and takes that in differently. And some people have to see it modeled Mm -hmm. um, and see it in action. Yes. And I think that just proved a point that when you were there at the academy, how, hey, this is me. I'm walking the talk, uh, doing that and all that. And I'm here. And you've always served within your community. You've always served um, at the wing when we were working together. Um, So that is you. Um, How do you describe yourself in three to five words, Lieutenant Colonel I would say an advocate, um, loyal, um, dedicated. Oh, that's you. On service. (laughs) Yes, yes, I I agree. Being dedicated to what you do because you you just nonstop and you you live on your suitcase at times because you're always on the go when whenever they need you. Yes, and there are times when I'm truly am just dropping one bag and picking another one up to go from one. (laughs) one initiative to the next yes yes how did you develop your strengths all all throughout the years i think um one thing is just having a tolerance and a threshold for change Mm -hmm. and for varying opinions and ideas about things not getting stuck Mm. um not taking things personal you know paths to success um instead of um focusing on what's not working. So, and and knowing what's in my control and trying to distinguish what's within my control and what's yes. not. And when I find that when I put focus on what I can control right. or influence or impact, mm-hmm. I get, I'm so much more productive. And that, that helps me greatly to keep, to stay energized. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, what I see in you over the years that I've known you is you've got the growth mindset. It's like, okay, this is the task on hand. How am I going to grow from this? How am I going to work at it, right? Right. And and that if it's not easy, that's okay. Because (laughs) there's other perspectives I can bring in, you know, reaching out to others, phone a friend. And and there's many ways to get around barriers, get over or under hurdles and not turn them into walls. And so I think, you know, I try to work to find various ways to get to where we're trying to get to. Mm. That leads me to the next question. What was the most challenging task that you've ever had or been given uh, while serving? So um, uh, one thing in the military is challenging. is just our computer system <laughs> and our, our, our comm and our IT. So that's where my <laughs> where my resilience just begins to fly straight out the window when, I, when I'm seeing circles spin on the computer or, or I have, I, I'm not able to communicate, you know, in real time as I need to mm-hmm. with, with the airmen. And so, you know, that's when I have to like step back, get, breathe, reboot myself and the computer. <laughs> and, um, there's a lot of bureaucracy in the military too. Yes. Like a lot of red tape. Yes, and I so, agree. 
there is challenging challenges when you're trying to advocate for people or processes and things don't move at at a pace that they do in the um, civilian community. <laughs> yes. Because it take it can take two years to change you know, mm-hmm. a policy mm-hmm. or a procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you really can't start um, implementing the change until you get it in writing. Well, it can take two to three years to get it in writing. Yeah. And so that's a challenge, too. There's all kinds of things I would like to see as far as how we take care of our reserve airmen more efficiently. But I've been on task force for two years working at that. Oh. You know, two or three years. So is it a policy and, uh, yet or is it on paper yet? The end of it for some of them. <laughs> We'll, we'll, we'll That's a challenge. Yes, that is a challenge. The computers are challenged. The bureaucracy. You are so right about that. But we we shall overcome, right? We shall overcome. Oh, yeah. And you 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 begin to expect it and know know that it's going to be a part of your process, and so you do a lot of mental work going in, knowing that it's probably going to be two or three years to come out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll see, you'll see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's like, ta-da, it's there. It's there. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it can be far away, but it's there. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. I think the fact that an airman will, will thank you for what you've done is, is, is the ultimate thing, right? Yes. And the thing is that sometimes we're making it better for those that are coming behind us. So we may Uh, not be able to put the change in place for the person who's there right now today. Yes. Yes. But we can put the change in place for the next person that's coming in. And that's Mm -hmm. okay too. That that is okay. How do you use now your skills as a female, uh, as a female and being a line officer? Well, so my, when you comes to being a female, what I try to do is focus on what I can do and how mm-hmm. I can contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know that there's a lot of limitations uh-huh. um, for us naturally. There's natural limitations. It's based on, you know, design, by mm-hmm. design, by birth. And so um, <laughs> to overcome and to focus on how I can contribute, I kind of put those limitations aside and really say, okay, what can I bring to the table? What can I offer in mm-hmm. spite of all of that? What, how can I add value to the process, to the procedure, to, to the team? Um, as a woman, what, what perspective can I bring yes. that will broaden the aperture, broaden the perspective of the folks I'm working with? And I do make it a point not to just try to, because sometimes it can be easy for women because we're so outnumbered to just try to blend in and be one of the guys Mm -hmm. versus to say, to look through that lens of being a woman who's experiencing this and be able to bring that perspective to the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that is a good point that to, to bring that in and say, hey, I'm a female, I can do this this way. And I think this might work, right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why this can work, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just bringing those, those different experiences to the table. Mm-hmm. So you didn't think that um, if this is my weakness, I would not focus on that, but I'll focus on my, my strengths so and, can add value. Mm-hmm. and add value. Yeah. Right, right. I know what my weaknesses are. So I have to be aware of what they are. Yeah. Just so I know um, where, where I'm not going to bring the most value and not feel insecure about 
that being exposed, the mm. fact that I have a weakness or I don't know, or I am more limited in a certain area of knowledge and experience. So, mm-hmm. and being comfortable with that. Yes, yes. We've got to know our weaknesses as well as our strengths and use our strengths to, to move on and, and, and share our uh, skills, right? Right. Yeah. So you have, um, with your military time, you have done a lot in the army. You've done, uh, you were a tech sergeant in the Air Force Reserve and then commissioned. Um, what were the highlights that you've done in your career? And how many years total now? 27 years. Woohoo! 27. Total. And um, I think for me, there's been several highlights. Um, one was just being able to graduate basic training because every day I was there, I thought that was going to be my last day and I was never going to see graduation. <laughs> so that was a highlight to actually stand on the field, have my family there. I never experienced anything um, like that. The adversities. <laughs> I experienced different adversities than what basic training brought. So mm. it, it stressed me and stretched me in mm. ways that I hadn't been stressed and stretched before. Not <laughs> I had been under stress and been stretched and learned how to cope based on, you know, my experiences, but they weren't, you know, relevant to being in the military. Mm. So that was a, a highlight. And then actually step going to the reservation and being able to make a difference there amongst the the native american population Mm. was a great highlight because i never saw that in my future when i joined the army i saw myself laying in dirt and foxholes and trenches (laughs) and having water rationed and sleeping in tents but i never saw that humanitarian opportunity Mm. until i got in and uh and it came too and so um being able to to spend a couple of weeks on the reservation, help with a major initiative, moving a tent into a hardened facility and x-rays and surgery and everything were being done in a tent. Wow. And um, Because the hospital had just worn out. I mean, it had seen its day and it was falling in and collapsing. And so we got to bring the hospital back and uh, move those services. So that was a highlight. Wow. Coming into the Air Force, being able to make that transition when the Army was downsizing, because it's scary. When a, when the service says, "Hey, we we have to reduce our mm-hmm, forces, mm-hmm, and there's no guarantee happens. that you're going to be able to maintain a job mm. when they reduce their forces, so yeah. you can apply for another branch of service, but you don't know that you're going to be accepted. And so, mm-hmm. to be able to make that transition, um, learn the language of the Air Force, adapt to a completely different culture, and um, Although sometimes I still say MOS instead of AFSC, but <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> but um, I still say AIT versus tech schools. Ah, there but you go. I've picked up, you know, the language and have been able to make the transition. Yes. And, and that was a highlight. And then becoming an officer was yeah. a highlight. Because when I came over, I was at kind of the end of my bachelor's degree and was offered by the recruiter to become an officer and I said no I don't feel like I know enough you know Mm. I don't feel like I'm strong enough in Air Force language and culture to put on the officer ranks because like you said there's a a small percentage of the folks who are officers and so after being in for a few years I felt like okay I'm ready and um, 
did what I need to do to make that transition. So, so that was a highlight, definitely. Yes, yes. And I'm so glad you, you made that change from green to blue. You crossed the yes. line. That's a good thing. And from enlisted to officer. So, yes. And, and that the, the structures allowed me to, you know, I was able to navigate the red tape and the bureaucracy to yeah. get it done with the right support. Yes. Yes. I mean, again, that growth mindset, that resiliency that you have, it just shines. It just, it it grows on you and there it is. You're at the Pentagon. Wow. That is amazing. Um, any other memorable uh, experiences that you've had the last, what, 27 years, you said? Yeah. So there's been a lot of like key points. I remember when I was first, um, selected to be a part of the sexual assault mm -hmm. prevention response program mm -hmm. when it was standing up in 2005 and i thought wow i mean women the way women were treated was a little bit different at that time and so i thought this is we're talking major culture change mm -hmm. here there's gonna have mm -hmm. to be laws passed and right. policies put in place and behaviors are gonna have to change and yes and, you know, big I, time kind of doubtful at first but then getting into the program on the front end, working through, I've seen laws change. Mm -hmm. I've seen Congress stand up and say, we will not tolerate this or that. Mm -hmm. I've seen, you know, all kinds of movement mm -hmm. uh, to make the program work. Yes. Um, the Sexual Assault Prevention Response Program. And so that was a highlight because I was a SARC. Uh, 2005 is when I started with the program. Um, was able to directly work in the program up until about 2000 and um, probably about 16 mm -hmm. and before I transitioned into something else, but then still got to at the higher level, mm -hmm. um, work in the program with the person who provides oversight. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I've seen so much change and evolution yes. in the military, uh, from 2005 to, to now it's, you know, change I never thought I would see. The, the, better. Yes, it's it's a good thing, and now we have the Me Too movement. We've got the the Sark, uh, the Sapper office at the base that are helping. We have victim advocacy, and that's how I got to know you. And it's a wonderful thing that we have this service for our male and female service members that have right. gone through sexual assault, military sexual trauma. So um, I'm so happy that you're you've done that and that you've seen that grow and it will continue to change uh, the culture and we'll still keep moving forward to that. Yes, yeah. and and I think our culture is continuing to take strides forward, which I like. I mean, it's it's an evolution, but yeah. we're on the path. We're on I'm the path. To see it. Yes, I agree with you. It keeps moving, and women at the fore forefront of this. It's it's a good thing and leaders like you helping um the younger airmen and being a mentor being a role model it's a big thing what would be your best advice to those who will just be starting in the military i would say um managing expectations is something i had to learn early on mm -hmm. and, and and understanding that no matter what job you have whether it's military or something in the private sector that there's going to be some challenges, some bumps in the road, but mm -hmm. that does not mean that that it's not doable and that you shouldn't hang in there. I see, um, you know, members kind of hit their first wall and then they're ready to 
take the first exit out, mm-hmm. you know, out process. And I'm always yeah. like, I turn into a career advisor to some degree, <laughs> talking to them about, okay, so what's your plan for your retirement? Because mm-hmm. there's no part-time job you can work mm-hmm. that gives you the benefits of being in the reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no full-time job that you can really work that gives you the benefit of being active duty. Mm-hmm. Um, the healthcare um, plan with no premiums for yes. you and your whole family. Yes, yes. The housing allowance, you know, the ability to retire at age 38, 39 and collect a check for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. So um, there's so many quality of life things that come with being wearing the uniform that the benefits far outweigh the bureaucracy and the challenges yes um and so that's an important point that i would think that anybody coming in should hear is that Mm -hmm. you know you're you're never got so much bureaucracy and so much challenge that is not worth it Mm -hmm. for the benefits that you reap yes uh, for being in this career yes and i'm so glad that you're able to share with us all those positives um for those who are planning to come into the military or have started and want well, you know, have that uh, career change? Should I stay? Should I not? And here you go. These are the benefits. Where do you see yourself? Yeah. Where do you see yourself in five years, Lieutenant Colonel Newsom? So I'm kind of ready, kind of looking to pass the baton. <laughs> no! So, you know, 27 years and five years, that puts me over 30 years in the uniform. Ooh. And for me, it's about... Um, giving all my knowledge and all my information, and I've been doing this kind of sprinkling it throughout my career, to the people who are coming behind Mm -hmm. me as the next leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, I may see another promotion and rank before I get out of here. I hope so. That's a possibility. Um, You know, and if it is, I welcome it and welcome the challenge. And if if it's not, and I remain a lieutenant colonel through retirement, I'm fine with that also. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. um, either way, I plan to kind of give some of that intellectual capital to those coming behind me. Wonderful, wonderful. Does it, it doesn't seem like you want to change anything in your military career or you were set or you're happy with the way you've transitioned? I've been happy with all the opportunities. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because there's sometimes I've just kind of thought about, hmm, it'd be nice if I were mm-hmm. able to do this as mm-hmm. a part of the military, like being a... Yeah. Um, AGR position, which is an active guard reserve. And here it is. I'm in one. You know, I've said <laughs> it'd be nice if I'd be able to get to the academy for a little while because I don't know what that's like. And a lot of our pilots and our leaders have are I've academy done. graduates. Mm-hmm. And um, I got to spend a couple of months at the academy providing support, you know. And, and it would be nice if I got to Georgia to be close to family. And then there I was <laughs> working at Dobbins, you know, in Georgia, close to family. So I think um, the nice thing about my career is that some of the things I've dreamed of doing, I've been able to do. Mm-hmm. And you have, and you've had, and I think you still keep on on doing what you're going to be doing in the next couple of years. How would you pay it forward, though, if ever you retire? I hope not. I hope that <laughs> you get the next rank. I'm rooting for you. A lot of people are. Yeah, so I, I think... Continuity is very important Mm -hmm. and um, sharing of information and knowledge is very important. And to pay it forward is to actually share information, not withhold, share knowledge, give continuity, binders, folders, materials, you know, whatever (laughs) I have. It's like 
just be an open book yeah. for somebody who is looking to, to grow as a leader, especially a female leader in the military. Yes, yes. How would you how would you give us some insight on that one as being a female in the military? And what have you learned about being a female in the military now that you're you're a lieutenant colonel and hopefully you get to the next rank and you know, how how would that be? Share some insight. I think an important thing is for women not to feel like they can't be comfortable in their skin as women, not to mm. feel like you have to ble- blend in and become one of the guys. It's, mm. It is awesome to relate mm-hmm. to your coworkers, no matter what their gender is, but to be true to yourself, mm. to bring your skill set, your perspective, your di- the dynamic that being a woman brings yes. in the workforce to be comfortable in bringing that dynamic in the workforce and advocating for other women yes um i think is critical and so you know if there's other women other leadership positions making sure that other women have a fair opportunity Mm -hmm. and to meet the qualifications to compete for other positions and to continue to progress um in the military so i think those are kind of critical going forward Mm -hmm. I, i think you've given that to a lot of women uh, where where you've been and you've shared that insight definitely. Would you like anything to share? Anything else that you'd like to share as we end this um, conversation? Yeah, I think that um, one thing is there's I've heard about some fear of women kind of coming into the military. Mm, mm. Um, one fear of being in a combat or infantry role. Another is a fear of um, abuse or mm. some type of uh, being mishandled or mistreated in a certain way, sexual assault type things. And what I will say is that this is an organization that is a microcosm of society, mm-hmm. but it's an organization. So we are a smaller version of everything that happens in society, but we actually hold ourselves to a very high standard yes, inside the do. organization. Yes, so we, we may see some of the same things you see in society, but we have standards and processes in place to help protect and to deal with those issues as they present in the military. And so I think the military is a place for women where they can come and be comfortable, feel safe, develop and grow, have advocates um, and peers kind of um, to connect with, feel a source of uh, sense of family and, and break barriers. Um, I had a boss who I worked with and in my previous job, she was the first African-American female to, you know, put on a third star as general, first African-American female to step from reserve into an active duty position and a high level active duty position, working alongside um, other pilots that were male. She happened to be a pilot and she was just breaking barriers constantly. and, and not looking back and being very comfortable as a woman in doing so. Yes. And so I think that it's important for women to know there is a place for you in the military, no matter what color you are. Mm-hmm. And um, there are leadership opportunities and experiences to be had. And there's advocacy and there's a high standard um, and morals in the military, too, to help protect um, all of our force. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much, Lieutenant Colonel Newsom, for sharing your knowledge, your insight, your experiences uh, with us today. I appreciate your time, and we'll soon talk again in the near future. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you.